0: to our rightful ruler, our creator, and our redeemer, and therefore to be willing in our submission to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, this is the time of the year when many people are busy giving to others. Presents for families and relatives. Donations to ensure that children in poor families have some Christmas presents, and such things. And I dare say most people, Christian and non-Christian, most people would agree it is good to give. However, the Christian should never think that his idea of good or his understanding of giving is something that he has in common with the unbeliever. Christians differ with respect to both the definition and uh, the uh, definition of good and uh, also the definition the idea of giving and we do not have that in common with unbelievers we have a different motive for giving, we do not have that in common with unbelievers and of course in many cases we would not want to contribute to some of the causes that they do, though they to others we might. Now Westminster in this article, this first article in chapter 16, uh, by its definition of things, makes it very clear that there are radically different views of good works and of the kind of service that one offers to God. And it shows that by its restrictive description of good works, that they are only this and not that. So that contrast is made between different views, uh, different attitudes and approaches to the subject. Two points as we look at this. First of all, what we do not give, and secondly, what we do give. So we uh, take that contrast here, what we don't give and what we do as God's people. In the first place, then, there are situations in everyday life where people refuse gifts that are offered to them. For example, if you feel that someone has given you a gift that is inappropriate, or if they want to give you a gift that you feel has been obtained unethically, or if you're aware that they are giving that thing to you for the wrong reasons, for example, uh, if somebody who... Actually hates you, and you're well aware that they hate you, and they try and give you something. You might say, "Look, I, I don't want it. I'd rather have your friendship. I don't want. I don't want a gift given under these circumstances." And some people may refuse gifts simply because they don't actually like or want that particular thing. Those who are giving such gifts don't always understand the reasons why their gift is refused. And sometimes they may feel offended by that. Sometimes perhaps justifiably so. But nevertheless, there are situations where it would, be not, it would not be right to accept the gift from another person. Applying this observation about the way humans deal with each other to the way the Lord deals with this matter of giving, of service to him, of things that people offer to him, Uh, We can note that unbelievers and hypocrites within the church, uh, nominal Christians, those who are only Christians in name only, but don't have a heart for the Lord, they may feel that they are doing a certain thing which is a good deed. They may feel that they're offering a gift of service to the Lord in what they do in the church, for example, and they can see no reason at all very often why God should refuse or reject their offering or why he should regard the deeds that they have done perhaps to help other people in the church or people out in the community. Why should the Lord regard this as unacceptable? Why should he say this is not really a good deed? Of course it's a good deed. It's good to help other people. It's good to do work in the church. And they simply can't understand why the Lord would come with a different criterion for what is good and acceptable. But that does not mean that the Lord is bound by their perceptions even we as human beings would balk at, for example, receiving a gift that comes out of stolen goods. Well, God is not a creature, He's not a human being. He is the sovereign God, and He is not bound by anyone else's perception. And in His sovereignty, He has the right to say, This is what I will accept, and this is what I will not accept. And no one has the right to question His criteria. For what is an acceptable offering to him, or to question his definition of what is good as it concerns the deeds of men? What then does he find unacceptable? Well, the text implies or mentions a number of criteria. First, we could say that deeds that arise from a heart that is not in right relationship with the Lord. A heart that is in a wrong relationship with the Lord. If a gift, an offering to the Lord, or a deed is done that arises out of that wrong relationship, then it is not acceptable to the Lord. The apostle joins to the command to us to uh, present our bodies. In this case, we can take that to mean that we present our lives—not just ourselves, but our whole lives, what we do with the body included. We are told we are to present our lives as a living sacrifice to God but coupled to that is this warning or this prohibition against being conformed to this world or conformed literally to this age to this present world system that is hostile to God and opposed to Him. And This word conformed is a, a very significant word in the text we'll look a bit later about the uh, command to be transformed in contrast to that, but here there is a a contrast between being, being conformed or transformed. It's good to be transformed. It is not good to be conformed in this case. The word conformed is a word that refers to being shaped or fashioned outwardly to something or someone else or by something or someone else. And the thought here is, that God's people are not to be shaped or fashioned by this world or the people of this world around us. And it's very significant that in this case the word that's used is a word that refers more to something being shaped or fashioned on the outside rather than on the inside. Because this is being addressed to Christians. Christians who may have and do have a heart that is right with the Lord. But nevertheless, outwardly, we are capable of being moulded, shaped or fashioned by the hostile world around us in certain ways. People oppression, pressure, for instance. These things affect us. And they affect us also within the church. All the various ideologies and philosophies going around in the world at present. You know, when it rains in the world, it drips in the church. Whether we like it or not, we are, all of us, affected by these things. And while they may not touch our hard relationship with the Lord, that which he has created in the new man, nevertheless, they do affect us in certain ways outwardly. And that's what we're being warned against here. So the warning is that if you as a Christian want to serve God and you want to do things that are good and acceptable in his sight then you mustn't let the world shape you at that point and shape the kind of works that you want to offer to God if you want Him to find those acceptable. When God's people try to offer deeds that are shaped by the world rather than by God's word, those deeds are not acceptable to the Lord. Second and closely related to that, service to the Lord if you want it to be Acceptable, it has to be holy, it has to be holy if you want it to be well pleasing to God. And nothing is well pleasing to the Lord if it is not built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and moved or motivated by His indwelling spirit. Even Christians are capable of doing deeds and trying to offer those deeds to God, deeds that are not themselves built on that right foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ but as I said come from other influences and deeds that are not moved by his spirit but by pressure from other places and we know that from 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 through 215 where we are told that the true Christian will on the day of judgment not be will not uh, be destroyed with the with hell that's, that's not going to happen to any true Christian. But it is possible that particular works that we've done will be burned away as by fire because it will turn out that they were never built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that those things can happen to Christian people as well. And here we've been told, if you want your deeds to be regarded as good by God, then they have to be on that right foundation and motivated by His Spirit. Third, and it's all related to this uh, work of Christ and His Spirit. Works are not good in God's sight if they are not according to His Word. The Apostle urges the readers to be transformed by the renewing of their mind so that they may prove or test what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable, well-pleasing to Him and perfect in His sight And the only way you know that, the only way you and I know what the will of God is, is by what's revealed in his word. What is unacceptable is service or works that are not in accord with that word. Now there are two ways in which deeds or acts of service may fail this test. One way is in which they may be completely contrary to God's word. For example, if you try to serve the Lord by tithing proceeds that you've got from a bank robbery, for example. Well, you might say, I've done a great work, good work for the Lord there, I tithe. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes, but it comes out of something which was completely contrary to God's word. And we see some example of that as we read it in 1 Samuel 15 of Saul's complete disobedience to the Lord in which he tried to take some of what was done by disobedience and still bring it as a partial offering to the Lord. And we see the problem with that there, that it was unacceptable to God. So those things, another example might be trying to serve God by, say, worshipping him using images of the triune God. Another thing that's forbidden And again, that would be an attempt to give a good deed, to do a good deed and offer a sacrifice of worship to God, but contrary to his word. Unacceptable. But there is another way in which the word may be ignored. And that is one when we do deeds that we may describe as being not openly contrary to the word, but nevertheless, apart from God's word. Things that are not Instituted or commanded or warranted by God's Word. And by my putting it this way, some of you may straight away recognise that this is regulative principle language. The regulative principle we accept as Reformed people is nicely expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 35, question answer 96, that we in no way worship Him in any other way than He has commanded in His Word. And that's a much more demanding way of putting it than the way some churches in history have put it, where they say, oh, when we worship God, we're just not allowed to do anything that's forbidden in the Word. We're not allowed to do anything that's obviously completely contrary to the Word, but if the Word says nothing about a certain thing, well, it's okay to do it. People historically have said no, and when we're worshipping God, we only do that which is that which we have a biblical basis. Some say that this stricter version of the regulative principle, this reformed one, that we only do what's warranted by God's word, that this only applies to public worship services. So when we're in church worshipping God together then we have to take this stricter approach and everywhere else in the rest of life with our general worship of God in our families and what we do during the week in that respect we can do a much take a much looser approach to things many argue that way but the Westminster in chapter 16 article 1 shows that the regulative principle applies to all of life good works are only such as God has Commanded in his word, there's that language again of what God commands, warrants, or institutes. Only what God has commanded in his word, and not such as without the warrant thereof, there's that language again, are devised by men out of blind zeal or pretense of good intention. Uh, It's not only in the Westminster in a number of places and the Heidelberg, also the Belgian Confession takes the same approach in Articles 30 to 32, dealing there with church government, and it says, what does the church do in church government? Not what men like to invent for themselves, but only that which is instituted by Christ. There's that language again there in those articles in a number of places in the Belgian Confession. And one of the proof texts that I use for all of this is from, from the scripture, is found in Romans 14 verse 23, whatever is not from faith is sin. And that is a command or a, 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 an instruction that applies to all of life in that context, mm-hmm. not just worship services, not just church government, but all of life. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So we can only do good deeds and serve God if what we are doing arises from faith. But what is from faith, well how do we know what is from faith if we don't know whether God approves of something? And how do we know what God approves of? Only from what he reveals in his word. If it is not approved in his word, no matter how good you might think it is, it is not acceptable to the Lord. And uh, there we can think of another example from Scripture. I think I accidentally mentioned this morning, uh, Nadab and Abihu who was being in Leviticus 9, but it's actually Leviticus 10. But to mention that example again, Nadab and I, who with their sin of offering strange fire to the Lord, they did something that was not commanded or warranted or instituted, as if, sure, God's got to be happy with that, because we're happy with that. And it was not acceptable, and God struck them down for that. Unacceptable worship, because they did what He had not commanded. And when you think about it this way, why should the Lord accept from you deeds that you say you are doing in His name, if in fact, as you commence those deeds, you are bypassing His will and putting your own will? And your own imagination and your own invention in the first place rather than his word. Why should he accept that? Well, when in the second and final place, we do offer the works, the service that the Lord does consider good. Obviously, it's going to involve the opposite of what we saw in the previous point. Those good works are going to arise out of a right relationship with the Lord, they're going to be built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to be moved by His Holy Spirit, and therefore they are going to be holy and acceptable to God, well-pleasing, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, because His perfect works are imputed to us, counted as if we'd done them all, and that is what cleans up our flawed works that we offer, even when we're building on the foundation of Christ. And they will be things that are warranted by his word. But the text gives us even more information on these criteria. First, we are told that you are to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice by the mercies of God. And that expression, by the mercies of God, means that, as I said, our works are only made well-pleasing to God, acceptable. That's another way of translating the word acceptable here, well-pleasing. They're only well-pleasing through the work and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ by the mercies of God, by His grace. And when we recognise that, it creates in us... A heartfelt gratitude that creates gratitude, thankfulness in the believer, so that when we serve God in any way at all, whatever it is, during the worship service or during the week, whatever it is, in any way, our good deeds towards our neighbor and towards our brethren, it is something that arises in the Christian out of gratitude for God's mercies, his mercies in Christ. So gratitude is also an essential motive. For acceptable works. Second thing, a bit of added information about the, the works that God does accept. They are described here as your spiritual service of worship. And the word that's translated spiritual here is a word that literally means reasonable or rational. We actually get our word logical from the Greek word that's used here. So this is your logical service of worship that we're talking about. The things that are acceptable to God are logical service of worship. And it's not talking here about rationalism. Rationalism is when people put human reason above the word of God. That's rationalism. But we could describe what is in view here as spiritually intelligent worship. Worship that engages the believer's mind instead of taking it up and hanging it on one of the pegs uh, out in the forum of the church. It engages the mind of the believer. It engages our mind uh, by bringing into our thinking, uh, by the work of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, uh, bringing to our mind reasons why we want to do good, biblical reasons why we want to do good, biblical reasons why we want to serve God, and why we also want to help our neighbour, and especially those in the household of faith. Rather than simply doing, God, doing good in some kind of uh, mindless way, or worshipping in some kind of mindless way, out of custom or habit. When you do something like custom or habit, you don't need to think about it. Uh, If you drive a certain route often enough, you're sometimes not even aware that you've driven it. You're not thinking about it because it's so habitual. Uh, Sometimes people even drive over the Rimutakis that way, get to the other side and think, how did I get here? It's all just done by rote, without really engaging the mind very much when it's a habit like that. Or perhaps you worship and try to do good deeds and so on uh, because you think that if you don't do those things, other people are going to think less of you. You come to church twice because if you only come once, people will think less of you, or something of that kind. Worship at church, and also at home, and in everyday life, is to be a thoughtful thing for the Christian. Governed by thoughts of what the Lord has done for us, and also thoughts of what he requires from us in the way that we do good, as per his word. A third bit of additional information about what we do when we give acceptable service to God is that it is a matter of transformation. As I mentioned before, the Apostle says, don't be conformed to this world in that, that way that outwardly we're shaped by the world and go along with the world, but be continually transformed. Another command but this time significantly doing a, using a different word for change than the one that was used with the word conformed. The Bible has several different words, the New Testament has several different words for change, and which one is used is often very, very significant. And the word that is used previously with conformed has that idea of an outward change or shaping, but here the word that's used means something inward. Being transformed inwardly. And we get the English word uh, metamorphosis. It's almost exactly the same in the Greek. We get the English word metamorphosis from this word. Like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Maybe when you think about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, you think, uh, well, that's obviously a change of outward Appearance. But if you stop and think about it, you realise, well, actually, it's more than that. There's a whole structural, internal change that takes place as well as the caterpillar turns into a butterfly. A Christian experiences a metamorphosis that it involves this whole structural change from the inside right through to the outside. Like the caterpillar to the butterfly, only even more so. And as part of that change, inwardly, there is a renewing of our mind by the work of word and spirit, which then enables us to come with a biblical, logical, rational or reasonable or spiritual service to God. The result is from that also a metamorphosis of our works as you go from an unregenerate state To being born again, there is a metamorphosis of your works that follow from that, as well as your mind and heart. An unregenerate person tries to do good, but not for the Lord's glory, not according to His word, not moved by His Spirit, not out of gratitude for the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the caterpillar suddenly becomes a butterfly person's born again and that regenerate person then begins to reflect that inner change of heart and mind and he comes now with a different definition of what is good a definition that comes out of the Bible and a different idea of what service means service to God and then service to our neighbour and different motives for doing that, he he wants to do it for God's glory never did before but he wants now to do it for God's glory And he wants to do it out of gratitude. never did before, but he does now. And when you think about it, that is a far more amazing transformation than that of a caterpillar to a butterfly. The Apostle urges us to cooperate with this change rather than fighting against it. Be transformed, he commands, so that we may prove what the will of God is Uh, Another way of saying this would be to say, uh, take God's will and put it to the test in your own life. Apply it and it will demonstrate to you how true and how good it is, the will of God. As you apply it in your life, you'll see the fruit that comes from that, that it is indeed that which is acceptable and pleasing to God and even for Christ's sake. Regarded as perfect in his sight. The life of doing good, as the Lord defines it, is a joyous thing. The life of conformity to the world is never joyous. It may seem pleasurable, but it's never joyous. But uh, it's not uh, good, and it does not give that inner joy or other good fruits. That life of conformity to the world. Let us therefore seek the Lord's help to be transformed more and more, according to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to God's word and the power of his Spirit, rather than being conformed to the spirit of the world. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is our desire to serve you, to honour your name by doing deeds that you define as good, not following the world's definition, not doing things that arise from the world's influence upon us, but from an inner transformation that flows from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, applied to us by your word and spirit. Father, will you enable us to study your word and to pray and to cooperate with your spirit, so that uh, that transformation may progress in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't uh, demand a reward for doing what is good. What we do that we think is good as it comes from us is very flawed, but when it is in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is cleansed by his good deeds and his death, so that God is pleased to regard it as good. But we are uh, nevertheless very thankful that the Lord encourages us in the doing of good by graciously rewarding it, as Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 1 shows Stand to sing that, and will you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology afterwards?